Good morning, everybody. This is uh, Jim Barton and Reverend Abigail Conley uh, with Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. And today we're going to talk about King Solomon. And specifically, we're going to talk about King Solomon's uh, choice of the gift of wisdom. And for that story, I'm going to pass it over to Abby. So, um, after, as David is getting up in year, who, years, who was the greatest king in all of Israel and Solomon's father, there begins to be a vie for who's going to be king. So his oldest brother, Adonijah, is the one who should inherit the king, but Solomon has been promised this through his mother. And so David, by this point, is old and feeble and in bed and has a human heart water bottle named Abishag, whose goal is to serve him and keep him warm. But they don't have sex. They don't have sex. It's very clear. So they very don't have sex. No sex. Right. Don't think that. Um, so, you know, Adonijah makes a bid for the kingship. Somebody comes and tells Bathsheba, Solomon's mom. Bathsheba goes to King David. He's like, oh, no, no, no. And they work it out. And eventually Adonijah gets killed in that process. Solomon ends up as king and then has a dream where he's talking to God. And this is clearly a vision that we would say much more than just a dream. And, you know, God says, what do you want um, to guide your kingship? Um, and so he says, I want wisdom, the ability to discern. And so God says, great, I like that answer. And because you didn't ask for wealth or fame, you'll get both of those too. And if you follow me, you get a long life. Um, so Solomon ends up with being wisdom, um, being given wisdom. And then um, that story is followed up immediately with two prostitutes coming to him in a rather famous story where one's baby has died and the other one's baby is alive. And the one woman tried to steal the other woman's baby and he says, ah, oh, cut the baby in two because the true mother will say, oh, no, 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 just let her take my baby. So it's kind of a, so these are some famous biblical stories, um, but I got to tell you when I recently was reading them, I didn't realize how like full on Game of Thrones, uh -huh. you know, this part of the story goes. I mean, uh, you know, the, the conniving and, uh, you know, Bathsheba's uh, doing good for herself, I think, because in the first story when he's like, oh, there's some hot lady and taking a bath, I'd like to hit that. And then like now she's sort of become this Lady Macbeth sort of moving the pawns of power around. So that's impressive for her, I guess. Yep. Um, and I think, uh, and then you mentioned the story of wisdom of the cutting the baby and split the baby, which is now an you know, expression we have. Um, so I guess one thing out of that, I suppose if we sort of start working down, I mean the top line, holding up a king is being, one more, yeah. Holding up a king is being impressive because he seeks wisdom. That's a pretty important cultural note, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think about, you know, sort of not because he's strong. I mean, if you think about Saul and David, what they had going for them is that they were strong, right? That they were, um, although David, you know, also, you know, could play a pretty good liar and, uh, you know, was a good poet and all that. He has his, he has his um, art side as well. Um, but I think primarily he's seen as a warrior and Solomon is um, held up as his um, as being a good king. So I think that's powerful. I think that's important for um, what the society says um, going forward. I do wonder why is David the best king? So he's not the first king, right? Saul is the first king. And um, it's actually under Solomon that the empire is finally unified. Um, P.S. I noticed that um, the, his empire, Solomon's and even David's, I guess, goes from um, 
Gaza to the Euphrates, mm -hmm. which is something I had missed in the first 45 years of my life. <laughs> that the kingdom, the United Kingdom of Israel and, and Judah, isn't just Israel and Judah. It's, I mean, that's a pretty big chunk of land between the Jordan and the Euphrates. That's yeah. like, what is that? That's Syria and Jordan. I mean, that's a big hunk of mm -hmm. it's a big hunk of property. So anyway, so why is David still the best king and not Solomon? So first of all, I would say because God wanted him to be, uh -huh. and I mean that that kind of matters. Of um, the first king Saul was liked by God and then lost favor with God, and David was chosen as this king and as this person who would lead Israel. Um, the other thing is, I think David was intended to build the temple and to unify Israel, and David screwed up a lot. Um, it's really interesting to talk about David as the greatest king because David is an extortionist. Yeah. Like, he scares people enough that they give him what he wants, and right. the last time I checked, that was called extortion. Right. And, um, you know, as we talk about Bathsheba, yeah, he murdered her husband so he could marry her because he thought he was really pretty, or thought she was really pretty. And after that... And the punishment for that was her first son with David dies. Right. Like, like in six months or something. Yeah. That's a messed up punishment, by the way. It is. Um, because this is the land of, you know, patrilineal endogamy, so you just lost your heir. Yeah. You just lost the son that mattered. Right. Um, but also a punishment for all of those different things is he doesn't get to build the temple. He doesn't get to build the empire that he wanted. Now, it's promised to his son... Um, and there are a lot more legends about King Solomon. So it's interesting that, you know, in all of these, this talk about David, we had David um, attributed as having written some of the Psalms. Solomon's the one who gets three books of the Bible. Solomon's the one who, you know, there are other stories about Queen of Sheba and visits and all of those things. Ethiopian Orthodox, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church traces, you know, everything back to King Solomon. So it is strange. I think the answer is God wanted it that way. Yeah. It's also interesting if you look at the, this story, um, if, you, if you compare uh, Kings to, uh, and actually I think even 2 Samuel to Chronicles. Chronicles, which is the later written right by a lot, um, it's sort of like, um, it sort of uh, sanitizes things a little bit. Make sure we're still going. It, it, and so, for example, there's no mention of Bathsheba in Chronicles. Right. So, so like, they just like sort of smooth over. So maybe, and so that's the going that's the going forward post exile story, right? Right. And the person who writes Chronicles also isn't as much a fan of David as the person who wrote Samuel and Kings. I mean, it's much more like you know, David lost favor with God. David hated God. David right. was a jerk. Right. But weirdly, doesn't include the story of him raping this woman and then getting her husband to come back from battle. And since he won't cover up the rape by sleeping with her, sends him back into battle so he dies. Right. I mean, that's a pretty negative David story. Yeah. Um, okay. And so I think, uh, well, I don't know if we want to talk just briefly about you talking about the books. So the books that are attributed to Solomon would be Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, uh, sort of a uh, emo wisdom book. Yep. Proverbs, mm -hmm. and then Song of Solomon. Uh huh. And I don't know if we want to briefly, as long as we're on Solomon, talk about that. Talk about Song of Solomon. Um. So I mean, it's it's worth it. I I say Song of Songs because that's the actual name provided by the book itself. Okay. The Song of Solomon is the later one because Song of Songs sounds weird to 
our ears that you know but it's the best of the best this is the best song that was ever written yeah, so yeah. of course King Solomon writes right, right. it you know it's it's the only erotic poetry in the entire Bible which is worth noting that our Bible has some right. erotic poetry in it it's also worth noting this is about what we would call romantic love yeah um, and that that has a place of honor I mean, it's explicitly in sexual. But mm-hmm. your point is, and I think is, is accurate, is that it's not, although it is explicitly sexual, it also is about romance. Right. Like the, the two um, lovers talk of each other, about each other in a romantic, in a romantic context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which is worth noting. Dr. Ruth actually wrote about Song of Songs quite a bit at one point in time because it was erotic and it was worth talking about. Um, it was something that, you know, for a long time, rabbis weren't allowed to study until they were at least 30. Sure. Because, you know, it's just, it's just too much. Stray. Right. Um, and I think for a culture that is super uptight about sexuality and healthy sexuality, it's, it's worth saying, hey, you know, this is in our Bible and this actually should set a precedent for talking about things. Um, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. That's yeah. the one that, like, yes, despite its emo horribleness... It's like, no, when I'm feeling bummed about the world, I actually read Ecclesiastes. Well, that's what emo songs are for. Right, I guess. Um, because, you know, it starts off meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, or vanity, vanities, everything is vanity. And I think both of those things are, they, they have their own theological value, of course. Um, but it also matters to put this, you know, in the hands of a king. Um, and in some ways, I would rather talk about Ecclesiastes than Song of Songs for that reason. Because it matters to say to the person who had everything, who, you know, silver becomes almost worthless in his kingdom because there was so much of it. He still says, yeah, so I tried everything. He had the money to do it. He had the free time to do it. And he says, but you honor God and you do this because this is the whole duty of humanity. Right. And this is what will actually give you meaning and life. I think it's fascinating if you just take a look at our Bible, and I think, I don't know how much of this, Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, and Song of Songs are all right together, and it's really funny to me because they have, in some ways, competition with each other. Right. Right, because Psalms is constantly about, it's like nauseating to read it in a, I'm reading it from the beginning to end a little bit, and I have this, this curriculum that has me reading a lot of Psalms, I'm so sick of hearing this bullshit about how God gives everything to his people who believe in him. Right. It's just, that's ridiculous. It's not true. It's not even true in the Bible. And then you have Job who, like, did believe in God and did all the right things and he did, God did not vanquish his enemies or whatever it says. So it's kind of, and then you have Ecclesiastes, like you were just saying. So it's kind of interesting, those wisdom books, if, if the authors of those wisdom books knew that somebody coming along later would say, we're going to decide this is an infallible word of a divine being, maybe they would have written it a little differently because it makes it real hard to maintain that case. It is an enlightenment problem, a post-enlightenment problem, uh-huh. that we worry about contradictions in the Bible. Yes. Because clearly they didn't. And right. clearly the response is, well, of course God is bigger and more than we could anticipate or know. So, of course God is all these things and many more. Right. Um, do you know, and I didn't ask about this ahead of time, so I apologize. Do you know if, if the order of those books, of the wisdom books, how long have they been together? Um, I would have to look. They are considered um, writings. Well, Kethubim. 
Um, okay. They're considered writings. <laughs> it would be interesting, and I didn't compare canons between them because Jews and Christians order those differently, and uh-huh. different Christian canons too. Um, so it would be interesting to look at that, and you know, give me twenty minutes, and I can. Right. Well, um, but in any case, I think it is fascinating to um, to look at this from a faith perspective, the role of wisdom, mm-hmm. and these all these books kind of look at wisdom in different in different ways. Uh, and so, um, and listen, it's. And maybe the most wisdom wise thing of all is to be able to say God is great and God sucks in the same breath. There you go. Perfect note to end on. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, cheers.